Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them, and some men came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, in his spirit, he knew that what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took up his mat and walked in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. So God, again, we invigorate our hearts. Father, give us a new passion for people that need to come to Jesus. Lord, help us never to forget the Great Commission. Help us to constantly in our hearts pray, Lord, put a fire in our soul to meet people, to bring people to you, Lord, because you are the only answer for this world. Lord, we are deeply committed. We are deeply convinced. We are deeply concerned because we know, Lord God, that there's only one way for people to be set free and for people to have eternal life. It's through the Son. So give us passion today in Jesus' name. And everyone said. For the last several weeks, we have been talking about building great relationships. And we have been talking about people who make us crazy in our life and how we can deal with that so we can have good relationships. And if you recall... The first week of the series, we looked at the scriptures and we noticed that, that Jesus said that, that all of the commandments, that, that everything we read in scripture, that everything we learn is contained in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say, I must love my neighbor as myself. So Jesus says, if you really want to treat people good and you really want to have good relationships, you've got to recognize that God calls you to treat your neighbor as yourself. 
If you want to treat people the way God wants you to treat them, you got to consider that there are things that you should do for other people that you would want them to do for you. If you want people to help you, if you want people to rescue you, if you want people to give you what you need, if you want people to treat you good, then you need to treat them the same way. If you want people to do the things that you need them to do in your life, then you need to help people, you need to give to people, you need to love people, you need to respect people, you need to honor people, People. You need to rescue people. You need to warn people. You need to treat people. You need to heal people. You need to go out of your way to bless people. You need to go out of your way to tell people that there's only one solution to their sin problem. There's only one way that they can get to God. You need to be the hands and feet of Jesus to bring people to Jesus. Somebody say amen. So then the question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, we know geographically we would say that there are people that live around our house. But Jesus answers the question with a parable. He says, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has the ability that I have the ability to reach and touch and minister to. And he gives us this parable of a good Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and we know the story. You've heard it a million times. But the Bible says that this good Samaritan went to an Israelite, a person that was actually hating him, and he ministered to that person. He went out of his way to minister to the person. He even went as far as actually taking this person to an inn and telling the innkeeper, I'm going on a trip. When I come back, I will pay all that this person has required. Wow, that's something. He actually trusted the person. Can you imagine? I don't know. Maybe if I was the person that was being ministered to and I was given the opportunity to stay in a hotel, I might use all of their amenities. Because I'm not being billed for it. Somebody else was being billed for it. But this man said, no matter what it costs, when I return, I will make sure that I pay this man's bill. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine? And that opens our eyes to understand that our neighbor is anyone that we can reach with the gospel. Our neighbor is anyone that God puts in our way to minister to them, to go out of our way. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. God says our neighbor is anyone that we can reach, that we can bless, that we can help, that we can treat with unbelievable respect. Come on, Help me out today if you understand what I'm saying today. And in Mark chapter 2, we find a really cool story of four men who are willing to take a man to Jesus and, 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 and do whatever it takes to make sure that they get him to Jesus. Jesus had been preaching in another city, in another town, and the Bible says now he comes back to Capernaum. I was there. I was physically there. I was, I, let me tell you something, how powerful this is. I went to Israel and I literally, I literally went into a temple that they excavated in Israel. And that was a temple that for sure Jesus was in that temple. And I, and I stood behind what would be the pulpit and I thought to myself, Jesus preached here. Come on, that's cool. 
So Jesus leaves his hometown. He comes back to his hometown. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus now starts to speak in this home. I, we don't know how big the house is. But the Bible says that the house was so crowded. It was so full. And a lot of the houses had outer courts. That the Bible says that even the outer court was so full. That not one more person could squeeze themselves into that situation. And here we find that the Bible says that four men are now coming into that situation and they ask around and they, they say, how can we get this guy in? This guy is lame. He's been lame all his life and we want to get him to Jesus. And the Bible says that they could not get in and so the Bible tells us that they became very creative and they actually went up to the roof and they started cutting a hole in the roof and they lowered the man down right in front of Jesus. Jesus. Now, I suppose that Jesus started laughing. I really do. I believe that Jesus said, Dad, God, my Father, can you imagine these guys? What creativity, Father. What an incredible moment. What an incredible situation. I think that the Father got off his throne and he called the angels together and said, Wow, that's creativity. That's faith. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Now, notice this. It didn't say he saw the faith of the man that was lame. I don't know if the man had a lot of faith. Well, I guess he did in some way because he had enough faith to allow these guys to bring them to Jesus. But I believe that Jesus saw not the faith of the man that was on the, 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 the stretcher. I believe that they actually, Jesus actually saw the faith of those four men. And the Bible says when he saw their faith, he spoke to the man that was on the stretcher. And he said to the man on the stretcher, your sins are forgiven. Now, everyone thought to themselves, that's strange. In fact, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they actually were saying in their heart, and Jesus could hear what they were saying. Listen to me. Jesus can hear what you're thinking right now. So you better have some good thoughts about me. And the Bible says Jesus could hear in his spirit what they were saying to themselves. And they were saying, who in the world can forgive sin but God alone? And who is this man who thinks that he's God? And Jesus says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the ability to forgive sin. Now, why did Jesus say your sin forgive, are forgiven first? Because Jesus was actually getting to the heart of the issue. It wasn't that he was lame. We're all lame. It wasn't that he was sick. His real disease, his real sickness, his real problem wasn't that he was lame. His real problem was that he was separated from God. His real problem was is that he needed to be forgiven in his heart. He needed to know that he had a savior. He needed to know that he had eternal life. He needed to know that God loved him just the way he was. You see, that's the truth. The truth is people all around us, they 
They may be walking, but they're lame spiritually. They may be walking, but they're lame emotionally. They may be walking, but they're lame relationally. And we need to speak to the real issue of their heart. And the real issue is they can be walking right up and they can look like they got it all together. But there's a world filled with people out there that are lame. They're lame spiritually. They're lame relationally and physically even. And listen, we have the answer and we need to speak to the issue. Jesus speaks to the issue. There's a lot of people that have issues in their life. And he says to the young man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But just so everyone knows that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Get up, young man, and walk. Get up, young man, and walk. And the Bible says, you know, they actually believe you were lame. <laughs> and the Bible says he, he went away. He walked away. He walked away and he was well. And the crowd of people, listen to me. And the crowd of people were amazed and they said, we have never seen such an amazing thing before. I think what they were truly amazed about was the Son of God's power to heal and forgive. And you know, the truth is, there are people all around us that are lame. And we need to bring them to Jesus. They can't bring themselves to Jesus. The Bible says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, lest they would see the Son of God. And there are people all around you and I that don't even know that they have a need for Jesus. Oh, everything's fine. I'm good. But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And there are people all around us that they think that they're wealthy. They think that they're rich. They think that they're okay. They, they even think that they're pleasing God. But the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole entire world and stand before God one day? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so the truth is today... I want to instill within you again a passion for people that need to be brought to Jesus. My prayer for you today, my prayer for you this morning is that you would be reminded of the need that we all have in our life to be ambassadors of Christ, reconcilers of people who are far from God. See, I believe that the reason the layman experienced Jesus was because there were four men who had enough concern for this young man that they brought him to Jesus. And I want to ask you a question. And I don't want you to raise your hand and I don't want you to respond quickly. But I want to ask you a question. Do you really care? Do you really? Come on. Do I really care about people who are lost? I'm preaching to myself this morning. 
You know, when you point your finger at somebody, three are pointing back at you. And I got to tell you, this Wednesday, I was so deeply convicted by God. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, do you really care about your neighbors? Do you really care about people that don't know me? Do you really care about people that are lost? And I have to be honest with you, I fell to my knees and I said, God, restore in my soul again a passion a fire in my soul, God. Show me again the lostness of mankind, Lord. Show me how lost is lost, oh God. Help me to recognize how lost is lost. And this morning, my prayer for all of you in this room is that you would recognize how lost, lost really is. You see, if people will come to Jesus, it will be because people that bring them to Jesus, number one, are deeply concerned about their spiritual well-being. First and foremost, these four men, and, and if you look, there were four men, and so I want to use these four men, and I want to say the first man, the first man symbolizes concern for the lost, I suppose that there was probably maybe one of them who came to the rest of the three of them and said, hey, man, our buddy, he, he's lame, and, and he can't get the Jesus on him his own. But you know what? I went and borrowed a stretcher from somebody, and if I can get three of you, if I could just get three of you to come along with me because I'm deeply concerned about him, and I know that if we can get him to Jesus, I know if we can get him to the master. I've seen this guy operate. This guy is awesome. This guy prays for people they pop up and they walk away this person has love and compassion and he treats people man if we could just get our buddy to Jesus he'll I know he'll be better he was deeply concerned about this man these these four men were so deeply concerned about their friend that they couldn't look the other way they couldn't ignore their friend's condition any longer they were so deeply concerned about his well-being. You see, we can easily lose our passion for people when we forget their true condition of their souls. And the truth is, people who have never received Jesus as their Savior and their Lord are eternally lost. Jesus' entire mission was to seek and to save those that were lost. The truth is, he didn't come to feed the poor. He did it as a bridge to their souls. He didn't come to heal the sick. He did it as a bridge to their souls. He didn't come just to teach people how to be nice people. His mission was to come. He left his heavenly dwelling. He left his place of authority. He came down to earth. And he served for three years. 
He served the people of God for one reason, because he was headed to the cross. And when Peter said, there's no way I'm going to allow you to go to the cross, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're saying. Why? Because my mission is to come. My mission is to be the sacrificial lamb. My mission is to come and die on the cross and shed my spotless, pureless blood so that mankind can be rescued from their eternal condition of being lost. And I suppose the reason why we stop telling others about Jesus, I suppose the reason why we, we are not concerned when hope days come, we'll let, just let somebody else take care of it. We'll let somebody else hand the flyers out. We'll let somebody else do the, the advertisement. We'll let somebody else show up at Hope Day. We'll let somebody else do it. It's because we just simply lose our vision and our understanding, our capacity. The enemy steals our capacity to understand the lostness of mankind. But Jesus says the Son of Man came and his mission was to seek out the lost. And then he said to all of us, when he was leaving this earth, and you go, you go to the highways, and you go to the byways, and you compel them. You compel them to come in. That's what I did yesterday. That's what I'll do for the rest of my life, is I'll go into the highways and byways, and I'll ask them to come in so that their father's house may be filled. Lord, give me that passion again. Jesus gives us some great illustrations of, of how, how desperate people are and, and how important it is for us to go out and win them by, by giving us parables. He, he gives us a parable of a lost coin. And he tells a story about a woman who lost a coin and she searched everywhere. And when she found it, she calls all her neighbors together and said, now let's spend the coin on celebrating because the coin was lost, but now I found it. Jesus gives another illustration of, of two, two men who were in the same household and one becomes a prodigal son and he goes off and he lives the way he wants to live and he turns his back on his father but his father waits for him to come home and when the son comes home the father throws a party because his son was lost, he was blind, he was lame but now he's found and all of heaven rejoices. Friend, all of heaven, all of heaven rejoices when one person comes home. Hallelujah. Do you know why all of heaven rejoices? Because all of heaven recognizes something that we don't recognize. The lostness of a soul. All of heaven recognizes, all the angels recognize that another soul came into the kingdom of God. Another soul has been spared from a Christless hell, an eternity in flaming hell. Another soul has been saved. See, that's, that's always been the heart of Christianity. But somewhere along the line, we've watered it down. Somewhere along the line, we've made it an entertaining moment for people to come to church so that we can fill the pews, so that we can fill our pockets. But the truth is, the heart of Christianity has always been the lostness of man and the people who care enough, who are bold enough, who love God and love people like they love themselves enough to be bold enough to do whatever it takes to rescue the lost and the perishing and the dying and those that will be lost throughout all of eternity. And just in case you don't agree with me,
Let me read some scripture to you. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where there is fire that never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus is not telling anybody to really cut your hand off or cut your foot off. Because you know what? You can have lust in your heart. You can have no legs, no eyes, no ears, no legs, no feet, no one, and still have a dirty heart. He, he's, just he's just showing us the emergency. He's just showing us how absolutely true it is. That we all need to know that we have a Savior that rescues us from hell. If your eye causes you to pluck it out, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. We love John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we don't read on. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Paul the apostle talks about hell in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The book of Revelation declares, then death in Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone who was found, whose name was not found, written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is a real place. Hell is an eternal place. Hell is a place for people who simply reject the gospel. Now, I know I'm making somebody mad, but don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. Because he's the one who told us. And why is hell a reality? Hell is a reality because God is holy. That's how holy God is. And God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. He sent his son. To be the solution to our disobedience and our sin problem. Because when we sin against a perfect God, it demands a perfect payment. Listen to me. If, if you don't want to hear the message, then we're going to have to take away the cross. And we're going to have to take away the death of Jesus. But you see, the reason why Jesus came to die on the cross is because man is separated and man will have to undergo the punishment of eternal torture in hell because when we sin against a perfect God, it demands, his justice demands that we are punished throughout all of eternity unless a solution is given to us. And the solution came through his son, Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world. 
so loved every neighbor that you will ever be in contact with that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why, why am I telling you this today? Because I am praying that I will stir within you and stir within my own heart a passion again to be true to God's word and to be true to the great commission that there are people that are lost and someone must tell them. And Paul says, and how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And how will they go unless someone sends them? And guess what? Good news. I'm about to send you so that they can hear. Secondly, people who bring people to Jesus are committed. They're, they're committed. These four men were determined to get their friend to Jesus. They tried to get through the front door. They tried to push their way through. But they never gave up. Listen to me. You may have a friend, you may have a son, you may have a daughter, you may have a neighbor, you, have, you might have already tried to bring them to Jesus, you might have already tried to invite them to a hope day, you might have already tried to invite them to Easter, you might have already tried to invite them to church, you might have already tried to open your mouth and give them the gospel, and they shut you down. Maybe they were arrogant. Maybe they were cynical. Maybe they were just too hurt to listen to what you had to say. But I thank God that this story helps us to recognize that these men, they didn't stop at the front door. They didn't stop when there was a little resistance. But they knew that if they could get their friend to Jesus, their friend would be whole and healed. And they never, ever gave up. And I'm asking you today to never, ever, ever give up on your son. Never, ever give up on your daughter. Never, ever give up on your husband. Never, ever give up on your neighbors. But you keep on praying. You keep on asking the Lord of the harvest to touch their heart, their soul, and their mind. And you keep on praying for those divine appointments. Because it might not be today. It might not be next week. But God's word never returns void. And if God has a purpose and a plan for their life... You need to keep on pressing in. And if that doesn't work, you need to go on the top of the roof. And you need to cut open that roof. And you need to find a way to get them to Jesus. Can you hear me today? Are you awake today? These four men could have simply said, we tried. We tried. I tried to show up for Hope Day last year. And I, nobody asked me to do so. I'm not going back there. I tried to help, I tried to go out, I tried to speak, and I was shut down. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, when you speak to somebody and they reject you, shake that experience off and keep moving on because there's another one. Come on. Why did he say that? He said, because he knew that there's going to be rejection. He knew that not everyone's going to receive the word. Not everyone's going to say, wow, that's wonderful. 
They're going to be people that are going to reject. In fact, Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there go in. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few ever find it. Here's what I have found. I have found that I just need to keep on doing it. And if somebody rejects it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God, but I need to shake that experience off. I can't let that experience affect me. I went to Home Depot a couple of days ago, and I was at the cash register, and there was a woman there, and she was complaining about her ailments and, and all all of her problems, and I, and I felt such compassion for her. And you know, she was a sweet woman. And I said to her, I said, you know, God can touch you. I'm going to pray for you. She turned around, she looked at me, and I think she had a demon in her. She goes, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't care about me. I tried that already. I go, ooh. Okay. In the name of Jesus, come out. But you know what I heard? I heard pain. I heard pain. I heard frustration. I heard that she tried something, but she didn't get to Jesus. She might have tried religion, but she didn't get to Jesus. She might have tried another church that doesn't preach the gospel, but she didn't come to my church. Hallelujah. Because if she came, I would have brought her to Jesus and she would have experienced Jesus. And maybe Jesus would have not healed her right away. But there would have been something in her soul and her heart that Jesus would have come and healed her broken heart. And Jesus would have gave her eternal life. And I walked out of that place. I said, God, I got to shake that experience off. And I got to keep praying for that young lady. That God. And I prayed. I still pray for that young lady. I still have that image in my mind. God, help me to keep on praying for her until she finds Jesus. See, they were committed. You need to stay committed to what God has called you to do. I love what Paul says. Therefore, he says, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that we did while we were in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Paul was saying, because we know that God is a holy God and we know that there is an eternal hell, we try to persuade others what we are is plain to God and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. He said if we do this, we do it because we're, we're out of our mind for Christ. He says for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again from the dead. Wow. Paul says, I preach because I am compelled by love. Thirdly, people who bring others to Jesus are creative. They're creative. Sometimes people think I'm crazy. You're crazy, Pastor. You come up with all kinds of different ways, creative ways to get out into the community. Well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, you ain't doing nothing. 
I don't, listen, I'm going to do everything I can. Paul the apostle said, I've become all things to all men that I might win a few. He was saying, I do anything and everything I can to get the message out. I believe Paul was creative in getting his message out. And I believe we have a creative Holy Spirit who helps us to find ways in which we can minister to people and meet them where they are. And eight years ago, I just began to pray and say, God, Lord, people don't want to hear the message anymore because they're so turned off. They're so turned off with a church that doesn't really care about who they are and doesn't really take the time to meet them where they are. You know, you know how many thousands of Christians gather every Sunday morning? They go to church to appease their own conscience. And churches are just gathering to worship God and they forget that the the greatest thing that we can do is go out and minister to the poor and the needy. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about ministering to the poor than anything else? Going out and ministering to the needs of others. And eight years ago, God put it on my heart to change the perception of the people in the world towards the church. They look at the church, the church is unconcerned. It's uncommitted to making any change. We know what they're against, but we don't know what they're for. They don't love us. They don't care about us. And the Lord put it in our heart. Let's just go out. Let's go out. Let's go out and give them groceries, bags of groceries. Let's go out and give them shoes. And before we give them the shoes, let's, let's wash their feet. Because that's what Jesus would do. And let's provide an incredible day for the kids to come and have fun. You know, yesterday I went to the carnival. And you don't get nothing free at the carnival. Not even the air is free at the carnival. And they roll in, man, and they roll out the dough, man, and they pay for their kids to go. And, man, I'm telling you what, my daughter was saying, Dad, I took my little, my little daughter Ellie there. It cost me 30 bucks. And then when I wanted to get on a ride, I needed to buy tickets for myself. It cost me more money. So we went there. I went there, and I had, like, Pastor Henry, I, I, free, free. And you know where we stood? We stood right where they were paying for their kids and the dad's dishing out a hundred bucks for four kids, you know. And I'm like, hey, dude, I want you to know that in two weeks we've got a, a, free, a free carnival festival for the kids. We're going to have rides for the kids. And we're going to have food for the kids. And we're going to have music and entertainment. And it's all free. And the dad's like, free? Give me ten of those. I'll take it. I'll be there. You know, the kids are like, yeah, daddy, take me, take me, take me. I'm like, dude, this is too good, right? And, man, I wish I had more people to help me do it. It was only 15 of us that showed up yesterday. Church of 2,000 people, 15 people showed up. Come on. Do we really care? And so I was giving them out all day yesterday. All day, giving them out. And uh, it was just amazing the opportunity that God had given me to do that. Creative ways to reach people. Creative I pray that God would give you creative ways to reach your neighbors. Bake a cake. You don't have to go there and tell them, excuse me, I want to tell you something. You're going to fry in hell through eternity. Hi, my name is Steve Malazzo. Nice to meet you. So bake a cake. Be kind to your neighbors. Pray for divine creativity. And fourthly, if we're going to bring people to Jesus, then we have to cooperate. We have to be deeply concerned. 
We have to be incredibly committed. We have to be creative in the ways in which we approach our world who's been turned off with a gospel and with a church that for a long time has reneged on their responsibility to love the poor, take care of people where they're at, feed them, nurse them, love them into the kingdom of God. We need to change their minds and show them what the church really does well. 30 outreaches. 30 outreaches. Hope Day outreaches June 1st. Pray that it doesn't rain. 30 outreaches from the tip of Long Island to the tip of Rhode Island. Thousands of volunteers. Thousands of people will come to Hope Day. Creativity. But here's the beauty. Cooperation. Eight years ago, one pastor... I would have never imagined that God would have done what he'd done. And now there are hundreds of pastors. Yesterday we trained hundreds of people. We satellited to I think it was eight other locations from Bethlehem and taught people how to share the gospel in eight minutes. Hundreds of organizations partnering together this Saturday. City Field, the New York Mets, are going to call us on the state, on the on the uh, into the actual on the sta stadium floor, on the field, seven hundred volunteers with Hope Day T-shirts on, national media coverage, creativity. I could have never done it without the Holy Spirit, without people who are willing to be creative, and cooperative if could you imagine if one of the guys said listen I'm 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 gonna get him to Jesus I'm I'm gonna get him there I need your help I need your help I need your help I need your help no can't don't have the time too busy do you know how 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 hard it would have been for that one person to get him he might have got him there but he might have died on the way he might have got there too late because it took him so long to get him to Jesus. I wonder how much more we can do as a church when we all cooperate. Not 15 people showing up, not 200 people, but all of us cooperating together. I wonder how much more we could do if we all played a part, our part doing our place there were two ministers they went to a ball game the minister had gone to to this ball game and it was his favorite team and he was so excited he invited another pastor friend with him to come to the ball game they were sitting at the ball game and they were just taking it all in and, and they looked over and they noticed that there was a mom a mother and a, and a young man he was about 20 years old and and they noticed that every play, every situation that went on in the game, that the mother was explaining to the son what was going on. And they recognized, they noticed that the son was blind. But the son had a, he had a glove. He had a mitt. And the mother would say, okay, they hit the ball now, foul ball. Put your glove up, put your glove up, put your glove up. But every time he put the glove up, the ball would go past him. On one occasion, the baseball player hit the ball and foul ball and 
and, 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 the, and the guy, the, the blind guy stood up and it whoosh, went right by him. He couldn't catch the ball, but there were a couple of guys behind him that started fighting for the ball. You know how they do that. They fight for the ball. And there was four or five guys fighting for the ball. And the ball falls down and the ball rolls down the steps. Rolls down the steps. You're thinking, no, it wasn't the blind ball. Roll down the steps. And a person sitting next to the blind boy picked up the ball and started screaming, I got the ball. The two ministers were so moved by this situation, so moved by this young man who couldn't get the ball for himself, that they actually went over to the woman who got the ball. And they pulled out $40 and said, listen, you see this boy right next to you? He's blind. He'll never be able to catch the ball by himself. Would you give him the ball? Well, after she looked at the money, she said, okay. She was handing over the ball and her boyfriend said, no, 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 no. This is a, an opportunity of a lifetime. You may never, ever get another ball from a pro professional player. Don't give it away. She put the ball in her pocketbook. She never gave it to the blind man. And I think, you know, the truth is, we were just sinners on our way to hell. And somehow, in God's sovereignty, the ball came and it rolled into our hand. We weren't even looking for it. We weren't even fighting for it. We're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. And now we have salvation in our hand. Some of us are so busy enjoying what we have that we forget there's a blind person who can't see, who can't understand. We're not willing to share that which God has given to us.